Happy Sunday, Tampa Bay. We're with you for another week here on the Duncan Duo Show to talk about the Tampa Bay real estate market. I'm Andrew Duncan of the Duncan Duo team at REMAX, and I'm flying solo this week talking about real estate here on WFLA News. And the first thing I want to cover is the White House plans to unveil steps aimed at easing the housing supply shortage. Now, when I first read this, I thought to myself, um, how are they really going to do that? What is the White House going to do that's going to, um, you know, change the housing supply? Um, when I when I read the article the first time, um, you know, or when I read the subject line the first time, I thought to myself, okay, they may have some impact, but how can they create more housing? But when when I drilled down into the article, it's really more about creating more affordable housing. So the White House plight is really geared around helping first time home buyers. Uh, and people that want to rent homes uh, find inventory. So some of the steps they're going to take, uh, tax incentives, um, they're going to work on some infrastructure to allow construction speed to increase for affordable housing. They're going to allow some changes to tax code and Fannie and Freddie uh, guidelines for loaning uh, people money to build apartment and rental properties, um, You know, boosting more of Fannie and Freddie's resources, um, expanding existing competitive grant program for community youth or community development financial institutions and increasing the financing available for uh, manufactured homes. So some of these steps are geared towards uh, rectifying um, an unprecedented challenge for uh, first-time home buyers to seek affordable housing throughout the country. What happened uh, probably started you know several years ago, but but ramped up the last few years. Builders started to realize their margins on affordable housing uh, were lower than their margins were on higher-priced homes. Thus, many of the nation's largest builders, because of the financial reasons, started building larger homes, which started pricing out more and more first-time home buyers uh, and more and more multifamily, uh, smaller multifamily-type opportunities. So, all of those things combined with, um, you know, some economic disincentives have caused a challenge where uh, you're seeing fewer and fewer low-dollar homes available for people uh, that, that would like to buy starter homes. So will it change? Will it have uh, major uh, you know, ramifications? It's really hard to say. Um, anytime the government tries to get involved in housing, I'm usually not a fan of it, um, but, but there are some things that look promising about this uh, program that the White House is attempting to pull off to increase housing supply among first-time home buyers. So um, one thing I want to make you aware of when we aren't on air, make sure to follow us on all of our socials. We are at The Duncan Duo, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, TikTok, pretty much everywhere at The Duncan Duo. Uh, you know, talking about first-time homebuyer and low-dollar housing availability, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic obviously caused a lot of problems with supply chain, labor, resources, construction. So in addition to builders choosing not to build the first-time homebuyer product, uh, you know, the COVID-19 obstacles that have been presented by the market have caused more and more of a shortage. Here in Tampa Bay, for example, uh, again, continue to see record low inventory, under one month of inventory in just about every price range. And as you go down in price, it gets even more bleak. So um, nonetheless, uh, challenges uh, all over the place for first-time homebuyers, missing out on opportunities, overpaying for homes, prices skyrocketing. So the White House is aiming at some incentives to encourage builders and developers, uh, landowners, 
as well as financial institutions to help ease the burden on uh, the shortage of housing supply and first-time home buyers. Another thing uh, related to real estate that popped out this week from the White House uh, that I think is important is the uh, national eviction ban or uh, national eviction moratorium has now been lifted uh, with the exception of four states that have, have um, put in state laws. Florida is not one of them. Um, but the Supreme Court struck down the CDC and Biden administration's eviction moratorium. Um, you know, I, I want to say there were three dissenting, so I think it was six to three. Uh, their, their rationale really was geared around how uh, landlords have more or less been uh, required to, um, you know, carry all the financial burden from COVID-19. So now they're, uh, this, this ban on the eviction moratorium uh, has been lifted. And you'll continue to see uh, local municipalities in the state of Florida start to catch up on some of the evictions that are in place. So one thing that's important about Florida, when it comes to evictions, we're a judicial eviction state, uh, which means it takes a while. If someone contests it, then it, it's, it's a litigation. It's a lawsuit. It's a fighting court to determine whether or not someone can or can't get evicted. Um, oftentimes they don't contest it, uh, but when they do, it, it, can, it can take a long time. So... Uh, people that believe that this, uh, you know, the lifting of the eviction ban is going to somehow have some sort of immediate impact on a real estate market just aren't true. It could provide some additional inventory, but there's so little inventory now that it, it would have to be an insurmountable number of homes to slow down our real estate market or slow down our value gain. Six times the number of homes on the market presently is what we would need to see to get back to a balanced real estate market. And I just don't see a 6X increase in our local real estate inventory uh, from the eviction uh, ban being lifted. Uh, so, so again, uh, you know, with the ban being lifted, it will lead to many landlords uh, evicting tenants and simply turning around and renting out their homes. It'll also lead to some of them deciding to sell, but that inventory will be gobbled up quickly by uh, first-time home buyers, by people ready to buy second homes and vacation homes. There's just such a shortage of inventory that the inventory will be welcomed by the market. Uh, but again, it won't happen quickly. There will be some people that will simply leave because they won't want to go through the eviction process or landlords that will offer money to tenants to try and incentivize them to move more quickly. And then certainly the court system uh, will process evictions for people that contest it. Uh, and that is something um, that, that I can tell you that the, you know, that is not quick. Um, they're backed up heavily in the court systems now. Uh, for so long, there weren't any in-person hearings. They're trying to catch up on a backlog through that. So when you sprinkle in, um, you know, now, the ability for landlords to evict tenants and for tenants to contest that eviction and go to court, it's just going to further burden and slow down the court system. So these are not things that are going to happen quickly when um, landlords are, um, you know, evicting people. One one real bright thing about the eviction ban being lifted uh, that I think is exceptional, not just for landlords that really have you know, been bearing the burden of the, the financial burden of COVID-19, um, but also for tenants, uh, tenants out there looking for rental homes. Um, you know, we have friends and family that move into the area that maybe don't want to buy for a year or two and they want to rent. 
And there's been such low inventory because tenants that aren't paying can't get kicked out like they normally would. So there's, you know, in addition to being a housing shortage for homes available for sale, there's a housing shortage available for homes to rent, mostly because all the people that aren't paying their rent, um, you know, get to keep living in the, in the home for free. So as those people start to get moved out, uh, either choosing to move out, um, you know, choosing to, to work something out with the landlord or being formally evicted, more and more properties will be available for um, tenants that are moving to the area. So I think it'll continue to help our population growth and our surge of people moving to the Sunshine State. Uh, the, the benefit for landlords, um, and this is, uh, the, the eviction ban was a national C- ban through the CDC. And like I said, it's been lifted nationally, but there were four states that went ahead and put state bans in place. Uh, and I believe it, four states were, I want to say it was New Jersey, California, uh, Illinois, and then Washington, D.C., I think were the, the four areas that, um, that decided to continue uh, the, the eviction ban. Another place that I think you'll see an improvement is people buying investment properties, uh, people buying multifamily properties. A lot of investors um, that, that um, play and operate in that space had really halted their purchasing of property or slowed down their purchasing of property because they were afraid that uh, they would get a tenant that wouldn't pay and then they'd be stuck footing the bill. So I, I think you'll see an uptick in investors you know, buying back into the uh, the market to rent to people long term. Um, I think obviously the inventory that will come on the market uh, for landlords that choose to sell uh, will be gobbled up by not just people that choose to buy the home and occupy it, but other investors that have been waiting on the sidelines because of the um, you know the eviction ban that's been in place. So overall, uh, I don't believe it'll have a major impact. I've seen a lot of talking heads on TV and on social media thinking that this is going to be some sort of epic gut punch to real estate. Uh, and I just do not believe that the demand is far too high and the inventory is far too low. Uh, and, and there's way too many renters out there ready to gobble up rental properties because they've been sitting on the sidelines for so long. So I think this will have a very negligible impact on the real estate market nationally. Um, and, and certainly no impact in Florida. Um, it, it just isn't going to impact, um, you know, it just isn't going to impact us much at all. Uh, when you have less than one month of inventory, uh, you're, you're in such a drastic seller's market that, like I said, if you saw a six X increase in the number of homes available for sale, uh, you'd still be in a balanced real estate market. So, uh, certainly not going to see those numbers change overnight, uh, here in Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay continuing to get lots of accolades. Uh, you know, lots of articles this week came out about uh, the best real estate markets in the country uh, for the upcoming year for both appreciation and units. Uh, Tampa Bay continues to stay in that conversation. We've talked on prior uh, shows for a lot of the reasons behind that, um, you know, still being very affordable to other parts of the country when you've got a mobile workforce now, uh, championship sports teams with both the Bucks, the Lightning uh, winning championships, and then, of course, the Rays uh, being a competitive team. Uh, so, so again, all those things, uh, our climate, the lack of hurricane impact, um, and, and, and a very robust job market continue to drive people to Tampa Bay. So our real estate market is going to continue to be healthy, uh, in the interim. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about an investment strategy for people that buy, um, investment property. Um, you know, this could be property for Airbnb. This could be flips. This could be properties that you rent out. 
Um, a, a common use investment strategy for people that want to avoid or reduce their tax consequences. Uh, a lot of people don't know about it, so make sure you stay tuned after the break. We'll continue talking about it. We're going to talk next about some breaks on your taxes for real estate investors after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market, Andrew Duncan. Um, and, and I teased this before the break. I want to talk next about 1031 exchanges. Um, and, and a lot of people hear this, this term, but they don't exactly know what it means. So I want to kind of explain it to you in layman terms. Now, I'm not an accountant. I'm not an attorney. So I'm explaining it to you in layman's terms. But there are complications. You need to consult with your attorney. You need to consult with your tax advisor. This is not tax or legal advice, okay? So don't send me some nasty legal gram. Um, but a 1031 exchange more or less allows you to take your gain from the sale of investment property and roll it into another property of equal or greater value without, or actually I think it has to be greater value, um, without paying the tax consequences. So in other words, you sell a $300,000 house, make a hundred grand, go out, buy a $600,000 house, you take your $100,000 profit, you roll it into the new purchase and you don't pay taxes on it. So, and again, there are a lot of complications and timelines uh, you know, that, that you have to pay attention to in terms of naming the property, when you have to close, all of those things are complex that I don't want to uh, get into a lot of detail about them because it could be misleading depending on what your purpose is. But it's, it's a like-kind property exchange. And when they say like-kind, they basically mean one investment property to another investment property. So here is um, an important thing to, to pay attention to. You can't do a 1031 exchange on a property that you occupy or you use. So a second home, a vacation home, your primary residence, you, you can't do a 1031 exchange on, on any of those. Um, a 1031 exchange could be from uh, a rental property to a, an apartment building. It could be from an apartment building to a gas station. It could be from an industrial warehouse to an apartment building. The key is to get the full advantage of the, the tax benefit, you do have to move up in price, okay? So you can't sell a 200 and buy a 100 and get the full financial uh, you know, tax benefit where you're basically rolling the deferred tax gain into the new property. So it is a, it's a tax, um, you know, people call it a loophole. It's not really a loophole. It's been in the IRS code for a really long time. A lot of people are afraid it might go away, but I don't think it is. Um, you know, lots of wealthy apartment and, and condo owners use it on the regular to move forward in their investment purchases. So if you are someone who's going to buy a, or going to sell an investment property, uh, before you take the gain, before you, uh, you know, put that money into your account, talk to the title company, talk to your real estate, uh, agent. There are things called qualified intermediaries and a qualified intermediary basically holds the funds until you move them into a new um, property to allow you to get the tax benefits. So qualified intermediaries had to go through steps and a process to be able to, to, to be approved to hold the funds while, they, uh, while you look for or you're in the process of closing. Here's an important thing though, okay? There are a lot of scammers out there. And unfortunately, there are qualified intermediaries that have gone under, uh, that have had financial challenges and people have lost money. So when you're choosing a qualified intermediary, uh, it's really important to make sure and do your due diligence. 
you know, investigate what their financial situation is. Are they a publicly traded company or part of a publicly traded company? How much, what do they have in reserves? What is their, you know, business model? Um, there are people, unfortunately, that have done an, attempted to do a 1031 exchange, given their money to a qualified intermediary, and then the qualified intermediary goes under. In fact, they never close on their new property and they lose a lot of money. So do your due diligence. Make sure you ask a lot of questions before you pass off your money to these people because you want to make sure that um, they are, um, you know, not just a qualified, not, not just, don't just have the checkbox to say they're a qualified intermediary, but you feel comfortable about placing your, your money into an account with uh, this company. So again, we have a lot of them that we can recommend. If you want the list of people that we would recommend for this process, shoot us an email, info, I-N-F-O at theduncanduo.com or go to any of our social media channels and send us a message. We'll make sure to send you our list of qualified intermediaries. They work with title comp local title companies that we work with um, and, and we can make those recommendations to you for the right place for you to, to go through this process. So again, if you're looking to buy an investment property or sell an investment property and you want to do it and save some tax benefits, uh, it's still on the books now. The 1031 exchange is still available. We don't know. Could it go away in 2022? Could there be tax plans that change it? There certainly could. So you got a few months left to be able to take advantage and defer taxes if you sell an investment property and go buy another one that's of like kind and that is a higher price point to gain the full uh, tax benefit. So again, a 1031 exchange, um, you know, but, but again, really important. If you're going to do one, do the research on the qualified intermediary. This is someone, this is still putting your money at risk with someone. So you want to make sure that you feel safe and confident that your money is in a good place, um, with whoever you place it with until you find buy and close on the new property. But again, you can't have personal use. This isn't for uh, a home you live in, a home you occupy. Um, it needs to be a complete investment property that you're not using for your own personal benefit. So we're going to talk next. We're going to continue to talk about investment real estate because there's another tactic that a lot of people don't know about in addition to the 1031 exchange that allows you to buy investment real estate with retirement funds. Um, so we're going to talk about that after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. Uh, Andrew Duncan of the Duncan Duo at the Duncan Duo, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, uh, whatever social media channels out there. We are excited for football and hockey season coming soon. Uh, going to continue our reign as the official real estate agents of the Tampa Bay Lightning, working with them on our upcoming advertising now so that uh, we can continue to have a presence with our favorite local sports team. And look, I love the Bucks too, but the Lightning, you know, they're, they're more my team. So um, I talked before the break about 1031 exchanges. Uh, and in the first segment of the show, I talked about the national eviction moratorium being lifted, as well as the Biden administration taking steps to try and address the affordable housing shortage. But what I want to talk about next is another investment tactic and vehicle that not a lot of real estate investors know about. Um, or not just real estate investors, but just everyday people that want to invest in real estate, but maybe they don't have their own capital. So you are able to use funds that are in a retirement or 401k retirement account IRA. You can move them around to make this, to make this happen the right way to be able to buy investment real estate. Um, not a lot of people know this, uh, but, but it can be done for people that don't want to continue and invest in the stock market. They want to invest in real estate. They want to maybe have a little bit more of a knowledge 
of what what their money is doing. Uh, so, so you can use funds from an IRA to buy investment real estate. You can also take an advance or a loan from your IRA or 401k to, to buy a primary residence. So for those people that are that have a shortage of cash, that maybe don't have down payment money, there are ways that you can use money in your retirement account. Sometimes there can be penalties. Sometimes you have to pay it back within a certain time frame. There's a lot of complications there. Again, like I said before, this isn't tax or legal advice. Consult your CPA or attorney, but it is available for you that you can use these funds. But I want to talk specifically about buying investment property in your um, you know, using your retirement account. This is a mistake that a lot of people make and they don't realize it because when you buy property through a retirement account, you cannot, it, it, you can't commingle. And here's what they mean by commingling the money from a retirement account and a pro and a residence that you buy or the property that you buy as, as a, uh, investment property. You can't manage it yourself. You can't do work on it yourself. Um, it literally has to be its own completely operating separate entity. So if you buy, let's just say I go buy one, two, three main street for 200,000, I have the 200,000 in it in a retirement account. I go and buy that house and I want to fix it up. You can't do it. Uh, you could do it if you used your own funds, but when you buy it through, um, and then a, a retirement vehicle, you have to keep it completely separated. So all of the, any work that needs to be done has to be hired out to appropriate people. It has to be documented. You have to hire a property management company to manage it. Um, you know, managing it yourself, doing work on it yourself. That the, there's a co-mingling aspect of that, that they, they've tied up loopholes on that. Um, because you know, in the past people would use that as a way to take advantage of, you know, they would pay themselves $50,000 for doing work that didn't happen, that they basically just got, uh, out of their retirement account without penalty. So th they've done this to make sure that the money is really going into real estate, not into your own pocket through some sort of scheme to move money out of your retirement account into your own pocket by saying you're buying and working on a house. So it, it does all have to be documented. It is a it is something that does get scrutinized by the IRS and you can't commingle. So again, another way for people that are strapped on cash that maybe can't qualify or that, you know, that, that, you know, want to get into investment real estate. Um, if you have money in your, uh, retirement account, that is a way for you to, uh, there is a way for you to use that and begin investing in real estate. So, um, you know, again, uh, a great tactic. A lot of people use it, uh, but not a lot of people know about it. So again, you're listening to the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show here on 970 uh, WFLA News. Uh, Andrew Duncan of the Duncan Duo. And is your home and home insurance ready for extreme weather? So in Florida, we're still in hurricane season. You've heard the storms that are out in the Gulf. You've seen the impact of Ida in New Orleans. And now maybe you're thinking, you know what? I need to do an insurance checkup. I need to know if uh, my insurance will cover me in one of these natural disaster type situations. A lot of people don't understand the difference between uh, wind coverage and flood coverage. They think that uh, by buying homeowners insurance on their house, if there's a hurricane that comes and hits and destroys their house, that they're completely covered. And they may be covered from the wind damage that gets done to the house, but the 19-foot storm surge that engulfs and floats it back into the Gulf of Mexico, flooding isn't covered. So uh, now's a great time. It's a great reminder. Storms have been out on the horizon and in the Gulf. Get your flood insurance, especially if it's not required for you. 
it's it's relatively inexpensive insurance. You can do that at weinsurethebay.com. Our insurance partner, We Insure Tampa Bay. Again, that is weinsurethebay.com uh, to make sure that you have the proper flood homeowners coverage for some of the natural disasters and bad weather situations that Tampa Bay gets. Um, so again, uh, great opportunity this time of year to look at your insurance coverage and make sure you're, you've got the proper coverage. It's funny, I read the article and it talked about hurricanes, heat waves, earthquakes, tornadoes. I think three of the four we, we have. The earthquakes, I don't think we see those very often here in the Sunshine State, but uh, heat waves, hurricanes, tornadoes, and, and probably most importantly, uh, in low-lying areas, flooding, always a concern for people, so you have to stay on top of it and um, you know, just make sure you get your proper insurance coverage. So home sellers today are dealing in a unique real estate market, different than any real estate market we've seen in a long time. An article I read this week that I thought was really uh, interesting was four things people say about selling a home today that just aren't true. So again, four things people say about selling a home today that just aren't true. And, and here's what I mean. Um, they get twisted. There's, there's always these one-off scenarios where someone sells their home for 100000 or 200000 above asking. Um, that is not the norm. Do those things happen? Yes, but usually because the home is drastically underpriced uh, and, and it drives a bidding frenzy. Uh, and in reality, the property sells for closer to market value than you're led to believe. So uh, some of these anomalies that exist sometimes twist people's perception about what's going on in the real estate market. And they think that is the norm. One sensational story or one sensational experience doesn't make the market. So let, let's just cover a few of these things that people say. So there are four of them. You don't need to renovate. Buyers will take anything. Now, uh, that is not true. Buyers will not take anything. You can't get the same price without renovating as you can uh, with renovating. However, that doesn't mean there isn't a buyer for the home. It just means you're going to net less money likely by not spending the money to renovate and improve the home to get the highest end of market value. Any property can sell. It's just a price reflects condition. So if you choose not to invest money into renovating or improving the home, you're just going to get a lower price and likely a lower price than the cost of renovations or improvements um, that, that would be necessary to get the home maximum market value. So you still, it's still important to renovate. You may not need to because you could still sell the home. Uh, but you're not going to make as much money. Um, you can price your house sky high and get that amount. Look, uh, I hear I hear this one a lot. Uh, people will say, well, you know, can you get a buyer from Europe that will overpay for my house or a buyer from Canada? Or right now, what's even more common is a buyer from New York. Um, so um, here's what I will tell you about people that have the money to be able to overpay for your house. They're not stupid, okay? They're, they don't want to overpay for your house. So are you going to get a sky high, way above market value offer for your house? Probably pretty unlikely. Are there rare circumstances? Yes. But the majority of real estate transactions in Tampa Bay, the homes sell for market value. There might be a bidding war. Uh, it might go above asking price a little bit, a few percentage points. If it goes way above asking price, the home was probably intentionally underpriced, which is a tactic that real estate agents, brokers, and sellers all use depending on the property, the uniqueness of the market, uh, and the statistics. So uh, it is certainly not commonplace that you can price your house, house sky high uh, and get that amount. The third one, sellers don't need to market their listing much. It will sell. 
uh, again, another false tactic. You have to market the home. Will homes that are not marketed well sell? Yes, but again, you're leaving money on the table. It's not going to sell for as much because you're not exposing it to as many people, to as many qualified buyers. You're not accentuating all the positives about the house. You're not showcasing it in the right places. It's simply, uh, it, it's you know, I kind of describe it like, um, can you go and buy a shirt at Nordstrom that you could find somewhere else cheaper? Yes, but Nordstrom did a better job marketing it. So they got max value for their shirt compared to the thrift store down the street that might have the same shirt that's never been worn for half the price. So again, um, can it happen? Yes, but are you going to get the most amount of money or the quickest time frame? No. In a bidding war, it's a no brainer to just pick the highest offer. That's the fourth thing. Um, the highest offer oftentimes has flaws. Sometimes there's an appraisal contingency in that highest offer, and they know very well there's no chance that the home's going to appraise that high. Uh, the type of financing matters because the appraisal contingencies, whether or not a buyer is going to ask for an inspection, they may tell you they'll pay 20000 above asking price, and then when you get the inspection back and they find out that one door in the house doesn't line up properly, they want to lowball you and take ten grand off the price. So again, it's not always about price. There are terms, there are contingencies. How long before closing? How long do they have to inspect? Um, you know, how many other steps do they have to go through to get to closing? Do they have the ability to buy the property? Can you verify their funds? Can you verify that they have a pre-approval? So uh, the, the highest offer is, is definitely not always the best. And there are plenty of sellers. I've done this myself uh, on a few occasions. There are plenty of sellers that uh, care about the emotional attachment to the buyer. They care about what that person does for a living. Maybe some of the struggles that that person's gone through, they kind of want to help that person out. They feel obligated to kind of maybe do the right thing. So there are plenty of circumstances where um, a, a home may not be sold to the highest offer. We even get it. Sometimes we get realtors send us nasty grams after closing. Why didn't my offer get accepted? It was 10000 higher. Well, maybe the home didn't appraise. Or maybe the seller simply liked those people better than your people. Um, there, there are plenty of circumstances where people don't take the highest offer. It's not always about uh, the dollar amount. That's why real, in real estate, the real estate world, we call it the highest and best offer. Okay, Make your highest and best offer. It's not always the highest that's the best. Uh, oftentimes, it's the quickest. Uh, cash, the expedience, terms. Uh, there could be a connection to the two families that's leaned upon. They could have met each other and liked each other. There are a whole lot of variables that go into why a seller might take an offer. And sellers don't always choose to go with the highest one for all those reasons. So again, um, the belief that a seller is always going to take the highest offer is just false. So again, you're listening to the Duncan Do a Real Estate Show here on WFLA News. We'll be back with our last segment, continuing our conversation. We're going to cover a little bit more about what's going on in Tampa real estate after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. We're back here on the Duncan Duo Show. Andrew Duncan with the Duncan Duo Remax talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. And unfortunately, one of the obstacles that has um, uh, come about during COVID that is even more pressing than it's ever been are the amount of real estate scams. Uh, people that have lost jobs, people that are in uh, tough situations and dire straits turn to trying to take advantage of other people as a means to, to help themselves out economically. So I want to point out a few of the real estate scams that are commonplace uh, in our real estate market today. The very first one uh, relates to rental properties. Um, you know, So it's a common scam that someone will put a rental property up for rent that isn't actually available for rent. A uh, common website for this is Craigslist, okay? So let's just take scammer one, 
puts house on Craigslist that would normally rent for $3,000 and they're, they're putting it up for 1500. Okay. First off, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. The reason they do this is because they think that because the tenant thinks they're getting such an incredible deal, they won't ask questions and they'll rush as quickly as they can to put up that first month rent and deposit and do very little due diligence checking because they're afraid of losing this home run deal of the century to someone else that doesn't actually exist. So this fake landlord will take your money and then run and move to the next town and pocket your money because they didn't actually own the home and they weren't an actual property manager. So some steps to take to avoid yourself from getting scammed in the rental property scam, look up who the property owner is, only make payments available to that person or a corporation that you can verify as a licensed property manager or real estate brokerage. And when all else fails, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So if a property is being marketed in today's market, as competitive as it is, no landlord is putting their house available for rent that much below market. The reason that person is doing it is because they're hoping that someone will be so excited about the killer deal that they think they're getting that they'll quickly go and give you money. And now guess what? Or they'll quickly give them money and now you've been scammed. So make sure that you're dealing with a property manager, verify licensure, verify their business card, call their office, do Google the person, look up who owns the property, uh, do all of these things. And again, if it, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. What generally happens, and we deal with this stuff on a monthly basis, someone will take a property that's for sale and put it up for rent. And, they'll, and, and so people will then think, oh, well, they're also just looking to rent it. Um, it's rare that someone looks to rent and sell the property at the same time. Very, very rare. Um, can't say it doesn't happen, but it's rare. So again, those are some red flags for you. Another common real estate scam uh, that's going on right now are wire scams where um, people, uh, scammers will hack into a title company or a real estate company and get access to email or they'll simply um, you know, mimic someone's email and email you and make you think that it's from them with wiring instructions for closing. Anytime that you're getting wiring instructions for a closing, call to verify them. Don't just blindly wire money because what happens is some of these people will hack into email systems or uh, somehow hack into something and determine that you have a real estate closing with such and such title company and they'll set up you know, fake title company one, two, three at gmail.com and send you an email and sometimes these phishing incidents will get people to wire money to this person in Nigeria, basically. So, you know, if you're, if you're wiring money for a closing, if you're buying property, make sure you're double checking the wire instructions, call the title company, verbally verify them, go in person. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars here. Don't just blindly take an email and then go wire money off to some third world country um, because you're, you're basically losing your money. Uh, it's very, very hard to recoup money that is wired out in a wire transfer. It's not like a credit card where you can, you know, simply dispute the charge and get the money back. When what money is wired out, it's gone. So again, you're buying or selling property, really pay attention to those wiring instructions. Uh, similarly, when you're selling a property, the same thing is starting to happen. People are trying to tell the title company uh, wiring instructions that are fake. So title companies are now having to go the extra mile because they might get an email that doesn't match the actual seller's email or looks really, really close to it. Let's just say my email is, uh, well, it's andrew at the Let's just say somebody goes out and buys 
uh, my domain name and spells it slightly differently um, and then tries to spoof the title company into wiring money somewhere else. So that's basically what's happening. People are getting taken advantage of with these wire transfer scams and we don't want it to happen uh, to you. Last but not least on the list of um, you know, common uh, you know, real estate scams, something that, that has popped up a little bit more regularly is people trying to take title to a property with illegal court documents. So, you know, if you get things in the mail uh, to your home, they're addressed to someone else uh, or addressed to some other company, look your property up on, you know, your local county clerk website or the property appraiser website. Make sure someone hasn't tried to file some sort of fake quick claim deed to take ownership and control of your property. Unfortunately, it does happen. So if you get mail in some random person's name uh, and, and you, you know, this isn't the person that used to live there, that happens obviously, but some new person whose name you've never recognized, uh, double check. Make sure to look those things up. That is a common real estate scam happening today. So hope you can avoid those real estate scams. And um, thank you so much for tuning in to the Duncan Do a Real Estate Show over here every Sunday at 10. We'll be back next week to continue our talk about the Tampa Bay real estate market. Have a great rest of your Sunday.